Hello and welcome back to the Anita Po Show and the Bitcoin for Fairness series, where everything is about bringing Bitcoin education to the people who need Bitcoin the most. As you might know, I traveled to Zimbabwe in March 2022 and I made some new connections there and I found a person who is now mining Bitcoin in Zimbabwe. He might be the first ever or maybe there's someone else, I'm not sure, but we're talking about the ways he got into Bitcoin, why he started to mine Bitcoin, what the challenges, the hurdles were, what he's going to do with the profits, if he has any, and the plans for the future. As always, you can watch this interview on YouTube or listen to it in your favorite podcast player. You can also try something new and use a lightning-enabled podcast app like the Breeze app, Sphinx Chat or the Fountain app and send some Satoshis to me while you're listening to the podcast. A special thank you goes out to the sponsors of this series. This is OKCoin, Leden, Paxful and the Human Rights Foundation. And of course, I want to thank all of you individual donors who have sent some Satoshis, maybe more, maybe less, to me and the Bitcoin for Fairness initiative in the last weeks and months. And now, enjoy the interview. Learn Bitcoin will teach you the why and how to use Bitcoin. Anita's book is a concise and approachable introduction to Bitcoin. Lynn Alden, investment strategist. Order your copy now at learnbitcoin.link. That's learnbitcoin.link. So hello, anonymous miner from Zimbabwe. Um, we won't disclose your name or the exact location of your mining machines because of the hostility of the current Zimbabwean government. Um, can you please tell our listeners why would it be, why would it be dangerous for you if they were to know your identity or location? What's going on in Zimbabwe? Well, I, I think uh, hi Anita, and you know, thank you for the introduction and stuff. I, I I think the the prospect of the unknown is basically what keeps us, you know, being anonymous, keeping our identities private, keeping our location private, because we just don't know. You know, it's it's Zimbabwe. The government tends to make rules, uh, tends to make up stuff as they go along. So we don't really know if we were on the right side of the law or not on the right side of the law. It's pretty much a, a gray area. So rather to be on the safe side and just keep things to yourself, I think is is the most logical thing that you can do. Mm. Yeah, I again heard from uh, opposition party members who have been going missing or are even dead now. Um, and even if, if you say something on social media, they put you in prison, uh, they put journalists in jail and they said they want to keep Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies offshore. I don't know how they want to do it, but as you said, I guess it's better to be a little more cautious than, uh, yeah, be in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Zimbabweans have a long history of being solution-orientative, innovative in, in a quiet manner because of the environment we've grown up in, you know. And those are one of the, the strongest benchmarks and the points, you know, that we've, we've tend to hone in on those skills. So this is another one of them, uh, being, you know, private about what we're doing, focusing on our solutions in private. So this is just another thing. The difference, I think, this time with Bitcoin and in particular Bitcoin mining is that 
you know, like, like everything else, it consumes energy, it consumes data. But the only difference in, in this uh, circumstance is it generates something of uh, value, something that's finite, something that allows you to, to extract a value, that allows you to hedge against, you know, inflation, that allows you to hedge against many things that the economy doesn't. So I think in a lot of respects, it's, it's designed for Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. You're living in the diaspora, as millions of Zimbabweans do. Why is that? Um, well, for me, um, it, it was a choice. You know, I wanted to expand my horizons. You know, my, my family is predominantly um, historically, you know, from abroad. Um, you know, essentially, they used to come and, you know, live in Zimbabwe a couple of years, then travel abroad, then occasionally one generation would come back. So I think I'm kind of part of that trend. We've been doing it for so long now. You know, potentially I could also end up back for a little while and then basically go back out again. But I think the, the lack of opportunities is a definitely a significant part of that journey. And, and I think a lot of Zimbabweans would agree with that. It is a significant part of that lack of opportunities. And if you do develop an opportunity, you just don't know how long it would last for. Because things change, you know, rules change or rules don't change, but people change their minds. Um, so, yeah, that's that's probably one of the biggest factors. Um, have you lived through the first or one of the, the several hyperinflationary phases in uh, Zimbabwe? Like when in 2007 or eight, I think it was when we had this one trillion uh, Zimbabwean dollar notes. <laughs> Yes, yes. I've I've actually got still a few of those notes in a, in a photo frame somewhere. Um, I actually kept them because uh, I used to collect quite a lot of them. Uh, one of my fondest memories was when the notes came out. I don't know which note it was. It was maybe it was the billion note. It actually had platinum in the middle, like a line of platinum, <laughs> and the platinum was actually more valuable than the than the the note itself. So people started burning these notes to take the platinum out. So literally within like, I think it was a week or two, the country ran out of notes because everyone was burning it. And then, as you can imagine, the supply of money was highly restricted and then they had to print more money. So created more inflation, etc. So that's that's one of my clearest memories um, is the fact you, you could see the money in the bank, but you couldn't take it out. And I think those days we didn't have eco cash yet. So, and then if you did go to the shop, you'd see someone with a wheelbarrow uh, full of money just to buy bread and milk. So, pretty crazy. You can just put it in your pocket and just go into the shop. Mm -hmm. And how did you manage to live through this phase? Did you have access to US dollars? I, I can't clearly recall, but, um, you know, I was pretty much just fresh out of school. Um, my parents, I know, were pretty much, you know, had a lot of side hustles, etc. But uh, essentially, we were using the local currency. I know that those days there was a combination of, you know, my parents working in, in Botswana, um, would come home weekends. So I, I'm assuming there was access to, to some kind of foreign currency because it was impossible to keep pace with the cost of living based on what was happening to the dollar at that time. But It was essentially crazy, you know, one week, you know, bread would be a dollar, next week it would be $2.50. Uh, electric at one point, I think, was was hovering on the 16 cents a kilowatt 
margin and you know if you if you look at what's going on now um, a lot of people essentially tend to if they have access to foreign currency or USD they tend to use the parallel rate in terms of um, uh, buying local currency uh, to pay uh, their utilities because it, it works out actually cheaper and it gives them a, a better value and advantage and leverage you mean with the parallel rate you mean the rate on the street right Yes, 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 the rate on the street. Yes. Yeah, sorry, I'm totally out of that uh, <laughs> that street talk. I, I tend to use whatever I see in the media. If someone says parallel, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, that's the one I should go for. But that's so confusing when you're the, there the first time, you know. I mean, I've been in Zimbabwe now two times, uh, quite a time, and I heard and talked a lot about, uh, asked a lot of questions about how money works there, RTGS, EcoCash, Uh, cashing out, uh, getting money in, uh, and it's really, it's changing permanently. And you have to know so much alone about how money works, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, so yeah. when did you find out about Bitcoin the first time? My Bitcoin journey started, um, it was about 2007, really, uh, when it first, first came out. And oh, at that time, that can't really be because it was in 2009. Was it so 2009? In 2008, the white paper was published, and in January mm -hmm. 2009, the first Bitcoin block was mined. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the reason I, I reference that date is um, at the time I was working for a, a financial institution, and there was a lot of talk about all these digital currencies in Africa, etc. And when I started doing some research. Um, and to your point, you know, 2008, 2009. And, you know, when it first initially came out, we're doing some experimental work with um, with currencies and, and how to pay people. And then Bitcoin came on, on the, you know, came into the picture. And I remember um, a couple of guys saying, hey, we should really mine this stuff. You know, it's, you know, I've got a couple already, you know, there's my computer. And I wasn't interested, interested in it. I was kind of like, Yeah, well, if anyone can turn on a computer, why would I bother mining this stuff, right? If anyone can just get it. Mm. And I'm going to need to get a lot of those just to buy, I, you know, a pizza, right? You know, you know the story about the pizza. But then anyway, you know, peer pressure, age, etc. I started doing it, just just mining it for the sake of conversation. You know, who got the most Bitcoin this weekend, mining, etc. And it helped because essentially we we had access to a, a lot of computers, um, we mined quite a few of it. So you, um, sorry, some, did, you did that privately or in the bank? <laughs> <laughs> a bit of both, a bit of both, you know, you, 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 you get these, you get these high powered computers from work, right? And I, I won't mention the company's name, uh, just in case they remember me, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, I, I remember I had about, um, gee whiz, I must have had about, Yeah, about six of them, six of them at home. <laughs> and at that time, I was staying in London, right? And, you know, and luckily after that, after all that mining, I held on to it. I actually forgot about it um, up until I started seeing it in the news going up in value. And the odd thing about it is, right, when it started going up in value and I, I saw the price, I think I sold it when it was about 5,000 a Bitcoin um, and I actually you know, put a deposit on my first house in London at the time. 
I was so happy with myself. And I was, at the same time, I was kicking myself because I thought if I had just left that computer on, that's what I was thinking. Um, you know, a miner's regret, I think, is what they call it. <laughs> so I, I should have just left it on and just said, like, oh, you know, I would have paid off my house pretty, pretty sharpishly because uh, there weren't a lot of miners those days. I can imagine, yeah. I mean, every Bitcoiner has some sort of regret, I think. But, I mean, on, on the other hand, you know, you at least managed to hold it until it was at 5,000 because other people lost it before or something like that. Uh, and I think it was very difficult back in the days. So without like having uh, knowledge about uh, programming and computers and Linux and whatever, uh, you couldn't do it actually. So, um, but it's it's great that you held on to it for so long. But then, I mean, did you stop mining then for a while or? Uh, I, at the height that it became, you know, valuable in monetary terms, I got interested again. Hmm. You know, totally different use case. You know, the use case when you when you tend to you know divorce yourself from what's going on in Zimbabwe is you know there's a game. I can pay off this. I can do that. So the use case in in my twenties was much more different. You know, uh, so essentially those days I kept mining it for a little bit longer, and then I, I started traveling quite a bit. So it was a bit difficult to mine it on the go. Um, you know, on, off, on, off. But I, I essentially did keep doing it uh, to a very lesser degree. I didn't have access to six laptops or six computers. So it was significantly lower. Um, I did I did hold on to quite a bit of it, um, just purely out of speculation uh, because of what was going on in the space. I thought, you know, this could be valuable one day. And, and I wasn't wrong. You know, I wasn't wrong. Um, fast forward to now, I, I certainly... Um, have a much deeper interest in it. And I think the use cases have expanded significantly, depending on your perspective, depending on your location, depending what you're trying to do. You know, the use cases are infinite, really. What would you say are the most pressing use cases now for you as a Zimbabwean in the diaspora uh, and from the perspective of Zimbabweans who are still in the country? Well, I, I think if you in the diaspora, I think, you know, primarily in my mind, uh, simplistically put, if you're, you know, and just to give you some background before I kind of go into what I think the first use case is, I think, you know, Zimbabweans send over two billion US dollars home a year to support their relatives. I can't remember the percentage it represents in terms of the Zimbabwean economy, but I think it's hovering 20 to 30 percent. So if you hold that number up there for a second and you think to yourself, that's a lot of money, right? Essentially, you, you could take, you know, the person earning $1 a day on the street, selling something on a street corner. And if you buy the cheapest entry level, Bitcoin miner, say an S9, and you know Zimbabweans, predominantly the ones that are sending money home, their relatives have a solar system, they have internet. So if you take the cheapest S9 and you were to plug it in, suddenly you've got a consistent income stream. Pays you on time every day at 1 a.m. in the morning. It mines throughout the day. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to stand on a corner. And if you had to take that same 500 pounds or $700 that you paid for that miner, even if it's giving you a dollar a day, 
that's still higher than the interest rate in a bank would give you per day. So if you're looking at that from a diaspora point of view and you think, if I can multiply that and get 10 miners in, possibly I don't have to send my relative, you know, that money at the end of the month. I make this one-off investment. The machine lasts four years. I service it. Suddenly you've got an, a significant use case for it. That's from the diaspora point of view. That's that's how I'm thinking. From you know, a local perspective, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm earning an income in Zimbabwe, I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, I'm a banker, whatever the case may be, you know, uh, the price of things goes up. Suddenly, you're priced out of everything you're accustomed to, your lifestyle, your, your choices, your school, your school fees, etc. But you buy into it. It's a bit volatile right now, but historical... Um, um, data points suggest that it's going to go up much more than it is now. Just yesterday, it bounced back uh, 15%, you know, 15.79%. So, you know, that's significant. That's that's a hedge. You know, even the, even you know the, the local economy can't compete against that kind of uh, increase. If, if that was the GDP 15.79%, they'd be singing from the rooftops. Okay, but what do you say to the people who say, yeah, but now it lost like 50, 60% in the last weeks? Um, how is this a hedge against inflation? If you're a miner and you're generating free energy, you still have your, your space in your property, your machine is still working, I say keep mining. Because a lot of those miners are going to, you know, a lot of the miners based in countries where they have expensive energy or, you know, they just don't have the motivation to keep mining because they have a different perspective. I would say keep mining. It's going to go up. Mm -hmm. Have some faith. You, you, you just know it's going to go up. And from the perspective of a nurse, for instance, who may be earning, he's maybe earning like 200 US dollars in the Zimbabwean dollar a month. I mean, if she starts um, saving Bitcoin, like a little bit of um, in Satoshi's, in the Lightning Network, you know, like, I don't know, 10 US dollars in Bitcoin. Um, now she only has left four US dollars or five. What do you say to her? That's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. You know, for, for me, you know, the whole Bitcoin mining currently has been a significant learning curve from where I was in my 20s to where I am. So, you know, 20 years has passed. <clears throat> I would say if you're a miner or you, you, you this nurse particularly, I would say put it in a in a trusted platform. I tend to mine directly to Leden, right? So I know that I'm mining. I'm getting, you know, bit, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, right? I'm mining directly to Leden. On that same day, I start earning interest. So I'm not really worried about the volatility. I'm thinking about, you know, the, the, the long-term gains. I'm mining KYC free. I'm putting it in Leden. I'm getting interest. So for me, I've looked at the entire ecosystem and I think it's, it's a value ecosystem, right? That's, that's one play you can make. The second play is you can buy Sun Exchange solar cells. You can get a Bitcoin income stream. I'm thinking of all these things working together. And if you're, if you're just holding because you want to hedge against inflation, you want to hedge against local volatility, it's a different play. The, the, the thing about Bitcoin is, you know, everyone has a different story. One size doesn't fit all. 
And I think that's the challenge. You can spin a good picture, you can spin a bad picture, you can spin any picture. But regardless of which picture you spin, you most likely will be right depending on your perspective. From my perspective, I'm right. I'm mining, I'm using sustainable energy. It's KYC free, it goes directly into a platform like Ledin. I earn interest. At the end of the week, if Bitcoin goes up 15% and Ledin gives me 5.20%, I'm a winner, regardless of what's going on in the market. And I hold it for the long term, etc., etc. When you're putting it into Ledin, you're basically decoupling it from the volatility of Bitcoin, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You also also lose the chance to have this big uh, way up, yeah? Like a day, 20% up or something. But for you, that's that's how you want to keep your money working, you know? But what yeah, are, yeah. Keep what, keep your money working hard. Yeah, your your question. One question also. You say it sounds like an advantage when you say I'm mining KYC free Bitcoin, but then you put it into Ledin, which is with KYC. Correct. Um, so Correct. do you do you split that? Like, do you take half of the Bitcoin you mine and put it in a hardware wallet, uh, in your hardware wallet with your keys, and the rest to Ledin, or do you want to talk about that? How you're doing that? Yeah. So so I put half in Ledin. And I put half in KYC free. So I, I don't know if this is public knowledge or not, but a lot of the platforms that I've used, like mining pools, I noticed there is a, a warning about, you know, if you're, a Zimb- if you're mining in Zimbabwe or you're a Zimbabwean mining, you shouldn't use this platform. And if you find out, you know, we'll kick you off the platform. Now, there's, there's a lot of that out there. I don't, I haven't used every single mining pool. But there's a significant amount of them. F2 pool is a simple example. I think it's in relation to maybe a U.S. company and that with the sanctions against Zimbabwe. So, you know, there's a few things you've got to be, you know, aware of when you're mining Bitcoin locally. You know, you can't mm-hmm. use certain platforms because not all of them are friendly. Which one do you use, if I may ask? I use a couple. Okay. I use Slush Pool. Mm-hmm. I use F2 Pool. Mm-hmm. Um, I use NiceHash. Um yeah, pretty much. I've used about six, six or seven. Okay. Um, yeah. And and do you hide your IP address from the miners? Yes, yes, I do. So I use a, a very, <laughs> I use a VPN. Yes. Yeah, so you're basically so there's this Bitcoin mining map from Cambridge. You know that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, that's not correct, right? Because everybody no, it's is. Not. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. you you mm-hmm. might have some sort of, oh, yeah, in this country there is maybe Bitcoin mining. But because I just was looking at the map again and I've been looking at it in recent years and I already saw Bitcoin miners in Zimbabwe, but I always thought that can't be true. I don't believe that, you know. Um, but since yeah. you are really mining now um, with your uh, S9s and I've seen the pictures, I've seen the video and... Um, but I thought, yeah, you won't be on that map because you don't want to get located. You want to stay private. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, just, just talking about the Bitcoin mining, just to give you a little background how it started. So, you know, there was a lot of guys on Twitter talking about, you know, Bitcoin in Zimbabwe, Bitcoin mining, etc. And, you know, there were a couple of guys that stood out, you know, uh, I won't mention their names in, in case they don't want me to, to talk about them. But essentially, we four guys, uh, we started talking about Bitcoin mining and 
there was a lot of doubt about, you know, is this possible? You know, there's so many uh, power outages, internet outages, you know, mining pools don't accept, you know, Zimbabweans mining Bitcoin, etc. For, for sanction reasons, etc. So I said, well, why don't we put it to the test? I've got a location, you know, I use sustainable energy at my location. So that's how it started. And, you know, these guys were kind enough to just say, look, you know, energy has gone up so much in Europe. Let's just send our miners, you know, no cost whatsoever. Let's just send them. Let's test them out. Let's see what happens. So we sent them. Uh, we had some hurdles, you know, some some power, uh, what they call load issues. So essentially, depending on the size of the inverter, it doesn't give you essentially enough load. So we upgraded. So now we've we've perfected it to the point of we know what works in terms of electrical setup, Bitcoin mining, connecting to the network, VPNs. We have the blueprint. Um, but now what do we do with that blueprint is, is the challenge, you know. We know it works. Uh, so as you know, we've been speaking to Blockstream. And yeah, Blockstream have committed, yeah. You know, what they essentially said to us is, we like the story. We like what you're doing. And we want to take it a step further. We want to show it's possible to mine Bitcoin using the Blockstream satellite. I think that's mm -hmm. the, the number one thing. There's coverage in Zimbabwe. So let's do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm psyched about it because one of the challenges we have is that, you know, the, the internet is probably, it's great for about 90% of the time, but you, you, you get that 10% where it just goes down, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been to Zimbabwe and the internet is the worst internet connection I ever had anywhere in the world. Oh, there you go. There <laughs> you go. So, you know, it, it's exciting that Blockstream wants to do it because I, I think that's the cherry on the cake, right? If you, if you put that in, we've solutioned everything else and they can solution that bit. We can just basically confirm the block, uh, add to the block via, you know, the Blockstream satellite. So that's exciting. I was actually thinking about this the other day and I was like, wow, essentially what, they do, what they're doing here, or the capability they'll give us is equivalent to what they're doing with uh, Tesla PowerPacks, Block and Blockstream. That's the partnership. Essentially, you know, we're doing it on such a small scale, but in principle, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, I mean, you're experimenting with it. How can it work in Zimbabwe? How can it work in a location where the, uh, there are so many obstacles and hurdles? It's like I always, say, I always say, if Bitcoin works in Zimbabwe, it works everywhere. Because uh, you, you have to solve so, so many problems uh, that you then can take this as a blueprint and use it anywhere else too. And so that's, that's why I'm also so excited about this uh, experiment, basically, and that Blockstream came in and said, hey, um, we would like to give you a, a Blockstream satellite kit. And um, I, I talked to the guys and um, they might even come and help you set it up, which is great. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. And uh, I think we're, we're working on that. And in the future, mm -hmm. there will then be an update, of course, um, how things have been going. And um, so, um, can you tell us a little bit, you have an existing solar power um, operation in that place, in Zimbabwe. 
And do you also have batteries or are you only using daylight uh, electricity? How does this work? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so so essentially um, we we started off with a 3 kV system, which is quite small, you know, uh, 3 kilowatt system. And we realized that it, it wouldn't be sufficient to power all six miners. So we upgraded it to a 10 kilowatt system. And we then coupled that with uh, a couple of batteries, uh, two, uh, three times 200 amp hour batteries, 48 volts, um, 16,289 watt panels on the roof. So it's significant. Um, you know, when the sun goes down, the batteries kick in um, and they power those miners through the, through the evening. Um, so from a technical perspective, um, I think that was easy to solve. The energy part was easy to solve. It's, you know, it all comes down to resources. If you can afford it, <clears throat> you buy it, you put it in place. I think the biggest challenge is definitely the internet. Um, that just, you know, like I said, 90% of the time it's working. That 10% that it goes down is literally where you get the notification, hey, your internet's gone down. Then you need to restart all the miners, you know, because it's, it's just not automatic when the internet comes on. So I think that's been the biggest stumbling block. But other than that, I think it's it's been fascinating from a technical builder perspective because you you don't know a lot of the things, you know, you've got to change your electrical system in the house. Your plug sockets have to be a, a specific uh, voltage rating. You can only plug in so many miners into one plug so socket. I think there's the 80, they call it the 80% rule. And funny enough, along the journey, I met somebody who is actually a very established Bitcoin miner in Africa. Um, you know, he has over 100 rigs. Um, he's very, very established. He's been sort of in, in the background mentoring me, saying, do this, do that. Um, so that's been very, very useful. The difference with, with us and him, he's 100% grid because they have really cheap electric and he's part of the world. Where obviously 100% sustainable, that's the difference. Um, but it's fascinating. So we, we share a lot of uh, data, we share a lot of technical know-how. When I have a problem, I reach out to him and vice versa. So it's, it's been a really good journey. So as far as I know, with the Blockstream satellites, you would be independent uh, in receiving new blocks from the Bitcoin blockchain. So you don't need uh, download to download something over the Zimbabwean internet, let's say it so, uh, like no. providers. But still you need to upload it because as far as I know, it's just a one way. It's not bidirectional yet, the satellite. Mm -hmm. But for uploading the blocks you find, you only need a very, um, you don't need a strong internet connection. I think you upload only a small packet of data, right? Yeah. Yeah. Could you solve that? Could you solve that with a satellite phone or something like that? So, so what what I've what I've done to kind of future proof against that, uh, you know, Starlink satellite from from SpaceX is coming to Africa next year, March. So we've um, we've pre-ordered that for March next year. So that's already in the pipeline. You know, when that arrives, from super site, you know, really? four hundred yeah. megabits a second. Yeah. I didn't know that. And how how expensive will it be? Um, it's $99 a month. It's actually cheaper than my current internet subscription. Yeah. So it's wow. way cheaper. <laughs> huge. I didn't know that it's coming next March, but that's a huge yeah, uh, news for everyone. I mean, wow. 
Yeah, I know. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to stream a Netflix movie as well from there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what what did you do to make it future proof? You pre-ordered a Starlink connection. Yeah, yeah. So you know, as you as you bump into these hurdles or these challenges, you you start thinking, what next? Right? You can just give up and you know go home. But you know, what's next? You know, you get internet issues. You think, okay, Starlink's coming. Let me pre-order. Yes, it's far away. We've got Blockstream that's, you know, kindly, very kindly offered their support. So, you know, that's the solution. You know, Starlink's a solution. Then there's the, the battery storage aspect, you know, what can we do better? And, you know, I've, I've been talking to a couple of guys here in Europe and, you know, I've just um, visited a couple of uh, car manufacturers or not car manufacturers, but like um, scrapyard salvaging of old electric vehicles. And particularly in Holland, the reason being I went there is I watched a, a fully charged show video where they showed how they were repurposing old electric car batteries, making them into massive powers. And if you know how expensive batteries are, you buy a 10 kilowatt Tesla Powerwall for 10K. It's only 10 kilowatt, right? You're paying 10,000. So if you buy an old Nissan Leaf, that's 30 kilowatt for 3,000. Wow. And all you do is you just put a, a, you know, I think they call it a BMS system, um, which allows you to manage and control that battery. So you're getting three times the impact or three times the storage capacity. Uh, and, you know, you move that to Africa, that's priceless. You're getting three times the energy uh, capacity to store that for 3,000 as opposed to 10,000 for 10K. So I've been looking at those solutions. I'm quite close to purchasing a, a vehicle as well, or should I say a vehicle battery. Yeah. But it's easier to just send the car and then take the battery out later. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's mm. so interesting. You're so innovative in your ideas. Um, um, you're, you're, you're getting all these new uh, opportunities and using it immediately for your future plans. I find that really awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when it's, when it's fully up and running with uh, the Blockstream and the Starlink and we've got the car battery, you know, plonked against the wall, it'll be good, you know, to do a really, you know, up close and personal, you know, um, podcast on it. And, you know, you can visit and, and see. That'll be amazing. So can you tell us maybe how much profit do you make at the moment? How, much, how many blocks are you finding? Uh, I think... I haven't really looked at, at profits, to be honest, because for me, it's about, you know, really looking at Bitcoin for its, its true value. Its true value is a, it's a finite resource, right? It's a finite digital asset. So I haven't really looked into that because essentially we've got the miners all for free. You know, um, these guys have been very generous. We're all interested in the data. Is the data telling us that it's possible to mine Bitcoin in Zimbabwe, in Africa? The answer is yes. Can we build out a solution? The answer is yes. Uh, can we do it long term? The answer is yes. We just have to put all these individual components together. So currently the ROI is, is not a concern. But if you want a, a money number, um, I think just yesterday, um, at the current Bitcoin price, it was seven seven dollars seventy two yesterday. Um, so yeah, that comes in daily automatically, no issues at all. So you know that's fascinating. If we had the consistent internet, probably be much higher, hmm. much much higher. But it, at the moment, it currently varies significantly. Bitcoin drops, it looks less. 
internet drops, it's less. So we have those two challenges. But for me, it's about, you know, mining an, a finite resource. You know, you hold it for the future. You've seen the predictions. You, you know what I'm talking about. So it's that's the game plan. Um, if we can, if we can share that knowledge with, you know, people in the diaspora that want to do it for other use cases, then we're happy to help them too. Yeah, great. That would have been my next question. Um, I mean, how yeah. can people uh, get in contact with you? Because I think the people who are going to listen to that will have a lot of questions because there will be also a lot of Zimbabweans listening to this. Yes. And yes. so yes. Um, how are we going forward to that um, in that way? How, how can they contact you? I, I, I'm actually on Twitter. So I'll give, you my, I'll give you my Twitter handle. So, you know, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. I'm, I'm also in the Zimbo Bitcoin community group. I'm not actively participating, but... If they post a question there, just yesterday posted a question about, you know, Bitcoin mining is not possible on laptops and stuff. So I just corrected somebody on that because I know it's possible. So, you know, I, I participate where I can add value. And, you know, if we, you know, if we could get more people mining Bitcoin in Zimbabwe, that would be fantastic. In Africa in general, fantastic. <clears throat> because you, be, you become a swarm of bees that's unstoppable, right? And I think that's the point. I don't want to be centralized and it's easy for a guy to come and lock up shop. Um, you know, decentralized is, is, is the point here. And if everyone's doing it, it's fantastic. Absolutely. Very cool. So mm -hmm. can you tell us your handle, please? Your Twitter uh, name? It is at uh, unstoppableBS. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's great. Okay, that's the Twitter handle where people can reach you. You can also help them get into our Zimbabwean WhatsApp group to ask questions there. And I think it's great that you're in there uh, because then I know, yes, somebody competent is answering questions. <laughs> because yes, because yes, sometimes yes. people are putting in links to mining opportunities where I think these are scams. Uh, but I guess you will yes. know then, yeah. Mm -hmm. Super yeah. cool. You know, yeah. Oh, sorry, please, Karen. Yeah, um, you wanted to add something, please. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, from experience and, and just, just, you know, for everyone listening to this, you know, four months ago, I wasn't into, you know, Bitcoin mining in terms of knowing what a, an ASIC miner is, not knowing what a mining pool is, not knowing how to configure it how the payout works, what wallets to use with it. And four months later, you know, I, I, can, I can comfortably say, I know how all of this comes together and how it works. I've had to educate myself on the electrical aspect, on the sustainable energy generation aspect, you know, choosing inverters. So a lot of that has come through actually doing it. Hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's the key message I, I want to tell people out there. If you feel you're, you're out of your comfort zone, that is a good feeling because good things, only good things come after that. Yeah, good. Thank you very much for that. That's it. Thanks for joining. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to my podcast at anita.link news and recommend it to your friends. A special thank you goes out to the Human Rights Foundation, OKCoin, Leiden, and Paxful, and all you, all indi individual donors who are supporting the work of Bitcoin for Fairness. 
Thank you very much and see you soon at the Anita Post Show.